And we're live. Hey, everybody. It's the uh, JAR Foundation, uh, the new JAR Foundation, a mental health uh, platform that I've launched, uh, applying for a nonprofit. And uh, today is my, you know, my first, my first guest. I kind of call it Guest Zero. Uh, it's my first good old friend, uh, Rob Shell. And I'm going to bring Rob up on stage. But first off, uh, the JAR Podcast, the JAR Foundation Podcast, uh, all great shows that if you're not following, uh, you can find us on uh, Apple. You can find us on Spotify. Again, the JAR Podcast. And this new show, which is a live show, a 30-minute uh, unscripted show that is really about me learning all I need to learn about how to start a mental health foundation and some of the issues and things around uh, mental health. So what I'm going to do is I'd like to bring up my first guest, uh, my only guest today, but the first guest of the show for the for show zero, Rob Shell, an old friend. And Rob has um, Rob's been, you know, somewhat. Hey, Rob, welcome, Rob. Up. Hey, Ken. Uh, um, so as I mentioned a little bit about the show in the background, Rob, and then really introducing you, just an old friend. Uh, someone who's got a unique perspective on mental health. Uh, you've definitely had a journey uh, affected personally, you know, for a long time. So you've, you've seen some of the ins and the outs and just bring you on stage to, or bring you onto the show, let you talk a few minutes about yourself, your background, who you are. And then maybe, you know, one, one or two things you want to share from your own personal journey. And, and I think, you know, advice, you know, maybe it's advice from me, on how we structure the foundation to solve problems, and then maybe any advice that you've got for people who are going through some some challenges around mental health and getting, I think, like you you talked about, the access and the cost. Really, you know, I think are two things that you felt uh, that you saw. And sure. I think you know one thing I've always admired about Rob is there's no stigma with Rob. You know, it is what it is. Everything is everything is right out in the open and That's there's right. never any shame and there's never any shyness about any topic or anything. And um, so that's a great part. So, Rob, I'll, I'll just leave it to you and maybe share a little again. Go back and talk sure. a little bit about uh, your journey. Right. Well, hello from Pensacola, Florida today. Um, I, I have been in, I'm a business person. I've been in technology Right now, I'm working in the real estate business and in the tax arena. Um, I help any commercial property owner in America save money on federal taxes. I work all over the country, um, pretty much out of my house. So it's a pretty, pretty neat job, and I love what I do. Um, I, the one thought process I have with what Ken's trying to get at is everyone has a family. And unfortunately, most families have a story about some level of uh, mental illness or uh, a, a need for advanced services for a family member somewhere. Um, and it's, I've been around for a while. This all started when I was a young kid and my younger brother uh, had mental illness. Uh, he was a, a schizophrenic and mild schizophrenic, not there's mm -hmm. different levels of all that. Um, but then in, in addition to that, unfortunately he, the cards in life, and the thing that really made things worse is he ended up getting diabetes on top of having schizophrenia. Oh. Um, those that combination, and he possibly got it from some of the medications he was on for schizophrenia. Um, uh. But it really, it, on on an ongoing basis, put him in a, a a category where he needed a lot of assistance and a lot of help. Mm -hmm. um, 
my mom, when I was a child, started a foundation with other families in our community where uh, Ken and I grew up in Wilmette. And it, it was a group of people that had kids, children at the time, that had some level of mental illness. And they sought out each other to find help for each other and for their, their families. And combining together the power of having those people together made a difference for their family members. And we were from a, a village called Wilmette. And that first initial um, charity was called Willpower, the power of multiple people wow. in Wilmette. Um, and Will it actually, power. Great it name. actually grew to multiple suburbs beyond Wilmette uh, fairly quickly, actually. And that business actually uh, was a non-for-profit that ended up, uh, you fast forward to what it was doing, it was helping mentally disabled young adults. And then as they matured, it was helping those mature adults uh, with day programs. There was a clubhouse that they had um, in, in a um, uh, kind of a central suburb of the suburbs they they serviced for mental health. They received some private, mostly private funding, but they also received some money from the state of Illinois and a little money from the federal government. But most of it came from private donations. Um, in addition to that, they also started to fund group homes and group housing where there would be a nurse living in the house in the nighttime and part of the rules of what these homes required in the organization was you couldn't just camp out in the house. You had to either one of two things. You had to be going to work to a job where you were part time or potentially full time, depending on your capability and what your, your mental illness allowed you to do. Or if you couldn't hold a job, you had to go to the clubhouse every day. And they had classes and a various set of curriculum. And they served a hot meal or two a day at this place. Um, and it was a place for everyone to get together and to have kind of a family of other young adults that were mentally ill that had, and everyone when I'd observe and go into the facility, they all had different needs and they were all very different at different levels of mental illness, but together they became a family <laughs> yeah, like a cool and it was a, a neat place to go and see. Um, my mom was a board member for many years and then I got drafted as the family member and I became a board member of that place for many years as well. And this is one of the, the things that Ken and I talked about a few weeks ago um, was how, how you, you know, different aspects of how you form a board and how you start to generate objectives within a board for a non-for-profit. Um, and one of the things I did was I, I created a, um, um, a, a fund for people that wanted to um, include our organization in their will and their trust. Um, and wow. it, it was, it, it was not something that happened overnight. We had to hire lawyers and yeah. we had to set this up correctly. And then we had to kind of softly present it to the family, to the adult family members of ah. the kids that were in the program. It yeah, was, yeah. Like, Hey, you're going to die in the next 10 years. <laughs> Why don't you include us in your will? But it was more of, Hey, we're here. We want to make sure that you remember us. And if this is something that's appropriate and you kind of professionally approach it and we soft sold it on 
a variety of seminars on what we were doing as the board and, and, you know, having like a, even a cocktail hour or a dinner set up, okay. we're going to have a presentation on how to do that. And if you want to set it up uh, a private meeting, one of the board members was one of the attorneys that drew up some of these contracts. And we also did interesting things where the attorneys for the family members, they were doing um, will, will and testaments for the kids and dealing with uh, mentally disabled children as you pass away as an adult, there are some really serious issues with all that because a lot of these, these uh, needy people in our society, they need government funding and they're, they're on some level of social security and yeah. they're, on, they're, they're on programs. And if mom and dad have significant amounts of money, the kids really don't need the money they need the ongoing services over time. Yeah, and yeah. Part, part of the aspects within government uh, um, uh, connections of being qualified for a program means, to, in some definitions, you have to be at a certain uh, level of need. And right. if you've got a pile of money sitting in the bank because your mom just passed away, all of a sudden it's it, it has the potential to disqualify you from the exact services you need. So there are some really interesting dynamics to how you go about wills and testaments yeah. within, you know, family members. Um, and my my father's still alive, and he has a will and testament that is absolutely focused through this exact uh, yeah. uh, the original willpower set of attorneys. Um, and unfortunately, when my dad passes, I'm not getting a whole lot. It's all going to, <laughs> all going to my brother, who is five years younger than I am. And he's lived in a nursing home for the last 15 years. And wow. kind of, it's really kind of sad. Um, he has the best life he possibly can with the, with what elements of what he's capable of doing his problem right now. at I want to say he's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 55, 56 years old is not really the schizophrenia. He's kind of grown out of many aspects of that. It's the diabetes. He's down to one leg. Um, he's in a wheelchair. He really can't go in a walker very much. Um, and he, he it's brittle diabetes and he's, they've got to manage his, his sugar uh, load every day. And they, they're monitoring on an ongoing basis. So he kind of needs to be in a nursing home. So um, that's, that's one chapter. And the other chapter is kind of draw a line in the sand here. Um, I have three kids and my youngest child has some disabilities and always had it was it was diagnosed through through medical doctors and the school district pre-kindergarten we knew about it yeah and it, it was it was taken very seriously at a very young age with, with god bless the school district that we were part of on north shore of chicago at the time and they kind of took the ball and ran with it and provided as best services as I could ever imagine my child getting and getting him in, groomed and into programs that were appropriate over time. And as he grew, those those types of services would change. And the level of what is known as an IEP, the, um, the, the ongoing book that seemed to get larger and larger and larger as he grew up. But I mean, I'm not kidding. It was like, I would say a four inch thick document. It was a it's like a telephone, old telephone book. And it had so many chapters 
from when he was in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, and how he progressed. And you could look back, and I remember looking at this when he was in high school, going back and go, oh, there's sixth grade. Oh, I remember that meeting, you know, and we would meet a couple times a year. And once a year, it was a big meeting with, it was almost intimidating. There were probably 12 people in the room. His, you know, his um, saw a social worker uh, for his social skills, uh, a voice coach on how to communicate, how to, how to use your voice and communicate with words. Um, some of his, you know, basics, education, uh, those types of teachers were there. Um, uh, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, um, the school district superintendent, um, and who followed him through years of, he was always involved in, in these meetings. And, and as he grew from, graduated from year to year to year within school. Um, and to some degree, there were some programs that were after school, but it was mostly dealt with through the school districts. Um, at one point, the family, my, my son moved um, to a different community when he was just starting high school. Okay. When that happened, he moved out of that wonderful school district that had wonderful resources uh, for all the children with special needs. And it was still a very wealthy community that had a, uh, a school district that was renowned and well-respected for most of the kids in the, in that school district. Right. They did not have the services that were equal. And as parents, we saw the difference between school district and school district. And I would caution parents that have special needs kids that you need to be the advocate for your child. And you're only going to get the kind of services that you uh, want by asking and then demanding and yeah. then, being their advocate uh, time after time so that they get the best resources possible. When my son moved to the new school district, they assured us that he was going to get the services he needed. Well, within one calendar year, his freshman year in high school, they moved him three times to three physical buildings because they didn't have the right set of resources in any of the schools that he needed. They ended up having a big meeting and deciding that there was a better scenario. And within the Chicago metro area, there was a magnet school focused on, um, they, they had multiple schools. They had one for kids that had serious, serious mental disabilities. They had three different buildings, the serious mental disability building. Then they had a grade school building up through eighth grade. And then they had a high school. Okay, so three separate buildings okay. out, out by O'Hare Airport, centrally located within the suburbs of Chicago. My child was um, then not bust, but he was in a taxi cab every day, back and forth. Who, who paid 40, for that? 40 minutes, back and forth each way. It was like kind of a mini limo. It was just him in the taxi cab every day. And who paid for it is the school district that did not have the, the uh... resources in order for them to hire up and get the right resources, there are some school districts that look at this type of model and say, we don't have the right resources. We've tried everything we have. And our best solution is to provide him with this magnet school um, that can provide him with the right type of resources. I sure would not have wanted to have that private bill of what it would have cost Good to God. have a yeah. child in a classroom with 
four or five or six Whew. young adults and two or three teachers teaching four or five or six young adults in the room. <laughs> you know, it was, the, bill, the bill would have been absolutely insane. Holy it, was like, cow. it was like my kid was going to Harvard in a way uh, when he was in high school. Yeah. Uh, with, the, with the bills that were probably generated. But it was uh, that's state run and it was also financed by the school district. The superintendent signed off on it and was part of the management case over time. He was always involved in those IEP meetings because he was spending money. His school district was losing funds because he was putting my child through a special needs program. Um, the one interesting thing is special needs kids. You, you, he, my son went to school all year long. Um, and because when you have special needs to have a summer break, it messes the kids up too much. They they don't understand how that all works, and they end up um, not. They have to have a, a systematic process to how their days hmm. run. So my son went to school year round, and he ended up finishing high school in three years. Um, and he he did a really good job with it. He was. Be, hey, a couple of problems here and there, you know, we'd hear back from the schools and because he was special needs, he had some issues. So, um, you know, we, they pull the parents in and say, you know, we've got a couple things going on here we need to let you know about. And that would happen from time to time. But in general, he tried hard. He worked hard. His mind was on getting the, the diploma and he did. Um, his mother and I sat in the final graduation meeting with the school district and the school district then um, you know, graduated him and then awarded him a really cool program. And it was a program locally in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, it was called The Orchard and highly recommend this program. And I think it's extremely hard to get in. It's not a large program. It's multiple houses in a cul-de-sac in a, a, a suburb called Skokie, Illinois. And then they built like a gymnasium at the end of the cul-de-sac, like a big, big building. But all right. multiple houses had classrooms in it. And what it is, is a, a job training organization that would help skill sets with corporate sponsors in the Chicago area. Walgreens, the, the drugstore as an example, is one of the sponsors. Jewel, a grocery store in Chicago, would be a oh, sponsor. Gosh, okay. So they would take these kids in and there would be it would be a full day, I would say maybe six hours a day. And again, taxi cabs back and forth, and then a six hour day, and they would do things. There was lab work where they would be some kids were preparing resumes with help on what they wanted to do. They would also do job skills and they would do um, testing on aptitude testing on what types of jobs these kids could potentially or young adults could do out there in the workplace to kind of have a quality of life and be able to support themselves. Hmm. They would also do things like, um, okay, we've got a field trip today and we're going to go to a bank and everyone's going to deposit their social security check. Because <laughs> what they found was these kids are too afraid to do anything, and they had four months of Social Security checks <laughs> coming in, and they weren't cashing them. So they would go and teach them how to deposit. Yeah, how to yeah, how to do regular life stuff. Processes that most people just kind of figure out on their own. They would also go into they would have a budget every every week, and they'd be they have a stipend of money that they would have for their lunches. 
And on Monday, they go to the grocery store and they had to buy their lunches for the week. And then they had to prepare with their budget. And then they had to prepare their lunches. They had their food all kind of labeled in the refrigerators there and that they were responsible for making their lunch. And if they starved on Friday, it's their own fault. They've got to figure it out. They plan it out over time. Um, So, and there were chores. They had it literally as silly as it is clean the bathrooms in this, these homes that were converted into classrooms, um, do some cleanup, um, you know, sweep, vacuum, you know, things like that. Um, so it was skills about how to live and how to survive on your own potentially and how to stand on your own two feet. Then they had the job coaching and they would take four or five of the young adults to a Walgreens and, depending on aptitudes, maybe one would even be at the cash register, learning how to work a cash register. Some kids will be stocking shelves and some kids would be mopping the floors. And then there was a coach there and the manager of the store knew what was going on. And the coach was there to manage any problems or issues and to keep these kids all kind of going in the right direction. And then there, they would um, be kind of, it was a, observations were happening and they could at the end there were documented reports on how each one of the kids did with their work experience for that day what they could have done better what they did great and Mm. complimenting them on that and then trying to help them get it, it was a progression of getting them into jobs where they could actually have a real job um my son was in that program and ended up um at home depot and he's worked at Home Depot for over two years now. He's on profit sharing at Home Depot. He's a full-time employee. He's been moved from shagging carts uh, and helping out around the store to the lumber area. And he's learned skill sets about how to measure lumber, how to do math, and how to use the saws safely, I hope. <laughs> yeah, <he's>, well, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> so, um, and all, all indications, he loves his job. They love what he's doing at the Home Depot. Um, and to some degree, for some of these corp, large corporate customers that are cl- companies that are out there that hire young adults with special needs, that is something that is, I think, viewed at by our population in a positive way. And the, it almost becomes a marketing tool for these companies like a Walgreens or a Jewel or a Home Depot that we're supporting the community and we have these people working for us and we understand that maybe they'll need a little more training and a little more observation and they may not be as efficient as other people but it's still an important part of our society and we want to make them front and center and and contributing just like anyone else i like it so yeah so i so i've kind of seen the experience of my my brother growing up and then also having to deal with this whole process with my uh, child, who's now 22 years old, from the time he was going into kid before kindergarten all the way through school and where he is right now. And it's probably going to be a lifetime. I'm always going to have a special needs kid. And mm. even when he's 50 years old, I'm, I hope I'm around to be part of that and to help coach him and to be part of that whole process. Really interesting. Um, I mean, what a journey. And I, the resources that you've come across are pretty amazing, right? And I think they, they are. And I, 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 I've, 
there's we have been so lucky and so blessed especially with our son um i i want to say that my mother when she started the foundation in wilmette she's it's got to be 40 35 years ago i mean a yeah, long, long time ago there weren't any resources and these types of people that have the types of mental illness typically ended up if they didn't have families that truly cared and supported them long term these are people that would end up on the streets um and you know begging and panhandling and um not not such a good good way to live in society or even supporting mm. everyone else within society um, so I want to say that a lot of things have matured in the last 30 plus years. Um, and, you know, there are more resources. Um, I, 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 you know, there are a lot of people that have kids with mental illness and they're just finding out about it now or, you know, they're trying to get their arms around how they can best help their loved ones. You know, you, you got to be the advocate for your child and you got to be the advocate for your family member. Right. Um, and to some degree, there is some challenges today. I think there always will be. Um, and hopefully things that you're doing, Ken, with your new foundation can really help out uh, and, and help people streamline and get resources faster and at a higher level and understanding benchmarks of what those types of resources could be providing for their family member. And if it's not working, find another resource. I, yeah, I like the story about, I mean, it seemed like you guys got you know, it was lucky that you, in a way, that your brother um, had has the challenges because that's given you a lot of for Ellery, right? Your son, it's given you a lot of a lot of experience, that, right? You know that you wouldn't have had, um, right? You wouldn't have been nearly as prepared for it, right? I would um, agree. Um, you know, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, it is what it is. But it I don't. What it is? Yeah. I, I really, I really don't. Uh, the more I talk to people, um, there's. I wish it didn't exist, but unfortunately, most families have some level of a mental illness. If it's not in their immediate family, it's a cousin or it's a, you know, a niece or a nephew or something I, like that. Absolutely. So, um, there, I, sure. My sister, I mean, I've got a Downs, one down sister yeah. who passed away and that's genetic. I mean, it's, it's genetic. It's more, it's more than a mental illness. But right. My other sister, I mean, my oldest sister is, is probably on the some spectrum of mental illness. Um, it's really clear she struggles yeah. and struggled her whole life. And you know, for sure, it's it's an undiagnosed, well, or diagnosed maybe now, um, yeah. illness. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. And, and there's there's other people in my life, some some other family members besides my son that has significant needs. But you know, I have other family members, and I have other people in my life that are on medication. Um, you know, yep. for moderate mental illness and, you know, that's out there as well. Um, you know, and, you know, there's, I think it's a lot of people are on some level of medication and they see a, a counselor or a psychologist and a yep. psychiatrist on a regular basis and have to deal with issues and how they cope with society and cope with problems. Those people are on a different spectrum and, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of those people out there. I think more than we realize <laughs> that are walking around and knock on wood. I'm very blessed personally that I don't have to take any medicine like that. And, um, you know, so. 
on my exit music. You get it? Yeah, I do. I hear a guitar. Awesome. awesome. Um, great chatting with you, Rob. Thanks for thanks for being a guest. My first guest, kind of fun. Uh, no idea what we're doing. I'm gonna. I think we're live. Actually, I think we are live on LinkedIn, and uh, it's been a great chat. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck with your uh, Jar Foundation, Ken. And uh, I, I, from what I've heard about it, and you showed me a few presentation slides and the direction you want to go in, I think it's very admirable. I think it's a need that needs to be filled within yeah. society. And um, you're a smart guy, and you can do wonders with this with this um, foundation. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. But Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you on the journey. Thanks, everybody.